Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of React Roundup. I'm your host, Charles Max Wood, and this week we're talking to Paige. I'm always hesitant to say your name, uh, Niedringhaus. You got it. See, and then I nail it, so I should have just said it, but anyway. <laughs> Chuck's a little insecure today. We'll just we'll just put it that way. Do you want to introduce yourself? We've had you on JavaScript Jabber, I think, and on my JavaScript story. Not here, so. Sure. Hey, everybody. I'm Paige Niedringhaus. I am a senior software engineer for the Home Depot currently. Like you said, I've been on JavaScript Jabber to talk about Node. I've been on my JavaScript story to talk about how I got into programming and software engineering. React is my framework of choice currently, so it's really exciting to be on the actual React Roundup. And I've been doing development for about three and a half years now after being in digital marketing for the first half of my career. So I'm really excited and honored to be doing this now and actually to be on your podcast. It's really a, a great honor for me. Well, thanks. It's it's funny when people say it's, it's a great honor because I'm always like, well, I just do this every week, so it feels <laughs> normal to me. Are you stuck at home climbing the walls when you should be hanging out with the community at the latest conference to get canceled? Are you wondering where to hear your JavaScript heroes like Amy Knight and Douglas Crockford and Chris Heilman? After the cancellations, I decided to put on a JavaScript conference for you online. I invited my favorite folks from around the web and got them to come speak at an online event just for you. Go to jsremoteconf.com and check out our speakers and schedule. The conference is on May 14th and 15th. The call for proposals is open until March 31st. Come join us at an online conference that we guarantee will keep you safe and keep you informed. JSRemoteConf.com. You wrote an article on Medium about uh, React Socks and responsive web design. I, I thought it was interesting because in a lot of cases, we sort of build the apps for the computer we're working on when we're building them. And then it turns out that, oh, wait, 90%, well, not 90%, probably closer to 70 60, 70% of the people that are using my my web app are on some kind of mobile device. That kind of breaks the whole model, right? Because then it's like, all right, well, I'm going to hack a couple things in and make it more responsive. But yeah, some, some, some websites do that better than others in my experience. Oh, absolutely. And you're completely right. Um, even from my perspective, working for Home Depot, I work on an internal team. So mm -hmm. all of our users actually are either on laptops or at most they're on a tablet device. Okay. So we have very much previous to now been in the mindset of we build for a laptop screen or larger. But yes, in the real world where we're having apps on our phones, on our tablets, on our, our computers, people do have to really take into account responsive web design. And I wrote this article, but before I wrote the article, I actually gave a conference talk with a coworker of mine, more on responsive web design in general, and then how to do it in, well in React. And one of the things that we really came across as we were doing research and putting together our presentation was that even in 2018, which is the most recent statistic we could get, 53% of all web traffic worldwide was generated through mobile phones. So yeah. We're definitely, unless you're a really forward-thinking company or application, I think a lot of us are thinking the wrong way about designing and then developing applications where we start from the large screen and then move down, whereas we really need to start thinking about the mobile design um, and the, con you know, the complexities of having a very small screen to start with and then moving up. So 
yes, that that is definitely something that I think a lot of companies are starting to shift towards if they're not already doing it. But I think we're still kind of in the early stages of really getting good at that type of design and, mm-hmm. and taking it into account earlier and earlier in the process. Yeah, I agree. And it's funny too, because it's almost like I have two different sets of reflexes. Like if I'm if I'm working, then I most likely will look it up on my computer, right? I'll just pull it up on a big giant screen. If I'm anywhere else, if I'm not at my desk, I will whip out my phone and I'll look it up and I won't even think about it. And so I figure that's where most people are at is that, yeah, if there's a computer handy and they think they, they can see or read it better on the computer, they'll do it. But most people don't spend that much time in front of their computer. Or you know, if they do, if they're chatting with their coworker around the corner from the computer, they're still going to pull out their phone. Absolutely. I mean, we always have our phones with us. Computers, unless you do something like us where it's very information or you know, office work driven, you're probably not in front of your computer, but you've always got your phone. Yep. And that's really the only time that you notice a really terrible user experience is when you pull out your phone, search for something and come across a website that's not mobile responsive. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we don't even think about it. We just continue with what we're doing. Now, I remember a few years ago, the big thing that people were talking about was doing uh, media queries in your CSS. Mm-hmm. And so essentially, you would say, if the screen is this big, then show this this way. And if not, then show this that way. And it looks like now we've got some better ways to do that. But do you want to just talk about where media queries fit into this whole scheme before we dive into like React socks and some of this other stuff? Absolutely. Media queries are still one of the first things that people will reach for, regardless of what kind of a JavaScript framework you're using or if you're using one, because all it involves is CSS. There are really two ways to approach media queries today, one of which is the additive and the subtractive versions where additive really starts from the mobile first design. And then as you build up in screen size, you add more CSS to your layouts to get the more complex side-by-side layouts instead of usually the straight up and down that mobile requires. Subtractive is the opposite of that, where you start from the largest screen and slowly try and take away CSS or really layer on to get it into that more streamlined version. They've been around since CSS3, They're pretty well known, I think, across the industry at this point. And they really were one of the first ways beyond using a a framework like Bootstrap to get some really fine-tuned ability to change and direct your layouts and your CSS based on whatever the screen size of the user was at the time. So those are there. They're certainly workable. They still work well across all browsers. But... Like you said, now that we've got some really well-established frameworks like React, like Vue, like Angular, there are some better ways to do things that are a little bit more developer-friendly and require us to do less code complexity um, and just kind of duplication of CSS, depending on which browser type we're trying to build for. So not only does it make it a little bit easier for the developers, but it also has the possibility to reduce the file size that gets sent across the wire to the user, which could speed up their time for loading pages and having just a better experience in general with your sites. So do you recommend then that people start with media queries or do you recommend that they start with something like React Socks and then layer things in on top of that with 
things like media queries or what's the approach that you recommend? Well, I think it really depends a little bit on a lot of factors, honestly. So it depends who your user base is. If you have a very small segmented user base, like the one that I have at work, which is basically just 150 to 200 internal users, and we know that they're all going to be accessing our site just from their laptops, that makes it a lot easier for us to design. We, We generally don't have to do a lot of changes, massive changes in our layouts or how our users will interact with the screens because we have a pretty good idea of what the screen sizes are going to be. But if you are going to have a very complex website that's going to require a lot of changes based on if it's a mobile view or a desktop view, then it might make sense. If you're really going to have to switch out entire components instead of just maybe changing padding or margin or some of the sizing, I think that React Socks could really be beneficial because the way that it works is it actually will allow you to wrap different pieces of JSX code into breakpoints is what they call them. They're just tags that go around the JSX that you want to render. And then inside of that breakpoint tag, you'll specify which size of browser you want this particular component to render in. So if it's a large desktop, you'll put large and you can put only. And that will say only when I am, you know, 1600 pixels to, I think, 1200 pixels, uh, I will see this layout of the component. And then if you have a smaller one that you want to render, you'll put that in breakpoints as well and say medium down or something like that. And that will say anything under 1200 pixels, I will suddenly switch over to render this component as well, or in contrast to the larger component. So it's really a way for you to very specifically say, I've got a completely different layout for mobile versus tablet, and I only want to show tablet users the way that this layout works, or I only want to see desktop users for this particular layout. So React Socks is just a nicer way to kind of segment out different components that you might need at different sizes, um, whereas CSS you're going to get all of it. You're just going to have to hopefully add more as you get to larger sizes to get those more complex layouts that you're looking for. So one thing that I'm wondering about then is, let's say that I have a component and really the only difference between, say, the medium one and the small one is a few CSS changes that make it look a little bit different, but still fit and still have mostly the same look and feel. It's just making it fit on that smaller screen or making it you know, expand to take up more space in a wider screen. Can, can I just build that into my component or am I going to want to use a breakpoint for something like that? For the most part, I would say something like CSS media queries would probably work just fine for that. The example that I can think of off the top of my head is I wanted to go from a top nav bar in my desktop view of an application mm-hmm. to a side nav bar that would... Uh, transition in when the user clicked the little hamburger icon and slide back out and have all those links across the top. Um, So for that, it was much easier to have a completely different component that would just be rendered in the mobile view that would have that drop down and everything that you needed instead of trying to work the CSS. So the, you know, the links across the top would disappear into a hamburger at a certain point, And then they would also have the functionality of dropping down and being selectable that way. That makes sense. I could also see it where, yeah, your mobile layout is just 
you know, so you have a component that's just some clickable thing. Let's say that it's a podcast website, right? And so it shows an episode. And yeah, when you get down to a certain screen size, you really want it, you know, your icon's going to be in a different place. You're, you know, you're going to put things in a different way. Yeah. And because of that, yeah, you would swap it up so that instead of, yeah, trying to jockey around stuff with CSS, you just, yeah, you have something else that you grab. I'm wondering though, in that case, because media queries made a lot of this simple in the sense that it was like, well, just keep it mostly the same. And then you just change the look and feel a little bit so that, you know, widths and floats, you know, happen the way they're supposed to. Mm-hmm. If you're maintaining two components, does that mean all of a sudden that when you change things, you have to update two or three or five or whatever, however many sizes you have components for the the layout? It could. I mean, there's definitely a middle ground that could be achieved if you have very similar looks and feels for maybe the desktop and the tablet size, Mm -hmm. Um, in which case you could just have a separate mobile component that would handle only mobile-sized stuff. And there's there's the benefit of being able to use media queries along with the breakpoints that uh, React Socks provides. So if you just need to make smaller changes, there's no reason that you could not mix breakpoints into your CSS for those sizes that are actually sharing components or sharing elements. So I think that it would be a little bit more challenging, um, but especially if you're working with a design team that is approaching both mobile and desktop versions at the same time, I think if you just work collaboratively with them and closely you should be able to come up with iterations and comps that would be for both mobile and tablet, in which case you could just update both components at the same time, hopefully. Right. Now, does React Socks work with React Native? I have not used it with React Native, actually. Um, To me, it seems like a more specific to React so that if you are trying to build something that would potentially look and feel like React Native but not actually be built with it, this would be an option to do so. Yeah, it seems much more of a problem that you would tailor to uh, React on the web as opposed to React Native. But React Native apps do run the gamut of mobile devices like phones all the way up to what are considered mobile devices like iPads. Mm-hmm. And even like Apple TV where you have sort of a wider layout. And so I was just kind of curious if if it worked out. But I'm not yeah. seeing anything specific on their documentation either, so. No, and I'm not really sure how much, yeah, how much benefit React Socks could bring because I know React Native is built for mobile first, so. It is, it but. Seems like it would be more equipped to handle that from the get-go. Yeah, but you do manage your layouts in React Native with CSS as well, so. Got it. It's a weird setup with the CSS. You have to kind of break your brain around it, but yeah. <laughs> Because it's doing a native layout too. And so you have to, anyway. So I'm also seeing uh, in your example here on the article that you can set up uh, styles for the different uh, breakpoint sizes, right? You can. They're completely customizable. They have defaults and presets that are what you would expect from extra small all the way up to large or extra large, mm-hmm. which are pretty standard breakpoint sizes, um, they're very similar to what you would see across CSS media queries as well, using things like um, 768 for tablets, 768 pixels, um, 1200 pixels and up for desktops, things like that. So they come 
pre-installed with that. But if you have specific layouts that you want, you can override them easily uh, and you can name them anything that you'd like as well. So if you have something that's very specific to a component or maybe to uh, a view that you'll be, you know, you'll be rendering, it allows you to do that and define it and really use it without much, much hassle or fuss at all. Now, why would you do it this way where you have a CSS file where you put in the breakpoint sizes and then break things down from there as opposed to just putting these styles directly into your component? I would say that it's really more of a preference of the developer, the development team. Um, A lot of people are really hot on CSS and JS and styled components and things like that. My team in particular has been much more of a team that we like SAS or less Mm -hmm. um, to keep our CSS separate from our JS. And it just keeps it a little bit cleaner, a little bit more separation of concerns. So it's really more of a preference thing. There's there's really no right or wrong answer for that one. That makes sense. I just wanted to make sure there wasn't some trade-off that I wasn't thinking of there. No, not that I'm aware of. It's purely what you like to do. (laughs) You you put it in a separate file so you can use the preprocessor you want. We do, yeah. SAS and and is our best friend. It's one of our favorite things. (laughs) So how are you using this approach then? Like, What does this look like in your day-to-day work or anything that you're working on on your own? So in terms of things that I'm working on on my own, I've got a little demo site that I built for the conference talk as well Mm -hmm. um, that is using React Socks. So if you go to the site, which I can provide you links for, you can just kind of see how easy it makes it. And you can look at the GitHub repo as well to to see the smaller amounts of CSS that have to be added to files, um, the way that you can break components down into smaller pieces based on the fact that you know you'll have a mobile view for this type and then a desktop and tablet view for this type. So it really, Mm -hmm. it compartmentalizes the, the components a little bit more and they just have something like a wrapper container that will be the parent component holding both the tablet desktop version and the mobile version um, together. It's really just an, another way of organizing and kind of making it easier to know where you need to jump to to make changes, I would say. If you're a front-end developer looking for remote work, then I recommend G2i a React and React Native-focused hiring platform that will connect you directly with their clients that need your skill set. What makes G2i a unique hiring experience is that they spend the time marketing you to their clients of your choice. G2i is a team of engineers that technically vets you up front. If you pass their vetting, their clients have agreed to skip their initial interview process, saving you time and energy getting your next gig. They take care of all the hard work for you so you can get focused on development. To join G2i, go to g2i.co and apply. I guess that's another question then is, you know, you mentioned that you have kind of a parent component. Mm -hmm. And then you've got essentially the the child components that render for each size. So h- how exactly do you set that up? Like what does the parent component look like? And what do the child components have to look like in order to work with it? The parent component really is as bare bones as you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, depending on if there's anything that is shared from the parent component, like a title or a nav bar or something like that, you would leave that outside of any of the children that are going to be switching depending on the browser size. And then for those children that you will be swapping out, um, you'll just wrap each of them inside of a breakpoint tag and tell it which views specifically you want it to be available for. 
really that's about all that you need to do. So if you had a child component that was for mobile and tablet, you'd have breakpoint wrapped around it. You'd have maybe medium up specified inside of the breakpoint. Mm-hmm. And then right underneath that, you would have the view for mobile and you would have breakpoint wrapped around that as well. And you'd have small down. And that would tell the parent component and the children components everything that they needed to know about when to render or not. That makes sense. I guess I was thinking about it the other way where in sort of my main layout, I'd have breakpoint, mobile nav, breakpoint, you know, desktop nav. And what you're saying is you just put the nav bar component into your main layout. And then within the nav bar component, then you have the breakpoints in there for the different types of navigation. And that way, at the top level, all I care about is this is where the nav goes. And then the parent component, the, the nav, the main nav bar component knows, okay, I've got to check and make sure that I'm on the right size to render this one or that one. Yeah. And I mean, you could absolutely do it the way that you're describing as well. My brain automatically went to, this is my nav bar component mm-hmm. and here are the two views that I want. But you could also absolutely say, here's my whole layout. When it's this size, show this nav bar. When it's this other size, show that nav bar. It's really yep. flexible in that you can re- do it however it makes sense to you. Yeah. One thing that I'm wondering is, does it respond to events? So for example, if I narrow my my browser on my laptop, you know, I drag the side over so that it's narrower will it automatically switch kind of like the breakpoint or the media queries do it? It will. Yeah. That's one of the best things about it is when I was testing this, constantly sliding my browser back and forth to make sure that it looked right in every, all the different layouts and it does immediately switch when it hits that breakpoint. That's really nice. Now, if I'm doing some kind of end-to-end test, you know, so I'm using Cypress or something, Mm -hmm. uh, what approach do I use to test this? That is a great question. And I honestly have not done much in the way of testing with this. I would assume though that I know in Cypress, you can configure the screen size. So even though it's running headless, you can tell it what browser Mm -hmm. size to use. So I would assume that maybe you would have different, a couple of different runs that you would run, one for your desktop view and one for your mobile view and just be checking you know, that events are firing correctly and things are rendering the way that they're supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, that would be my guess too. I I haven't done a whole lot with that either. <laughs> and in particular, if I'm I'm if I'm doing uh Cypress, I'm just saying, yeah, whatever your default is, right? And then I just run my app. So it's probably testing it on a, a desktop size browser. Yeah, same. <laughs> we do exactly the same. And and it's not that I'm late. Okay, I am lazy, but <laughs> It's because I just don't think about it, right? It, it's, not, it's not in the thing, you know, it's not in my mindset. So I just don't go there. How performant is it? Because if you're using media queries, they're usually pretty fast. From everything that I've seen and experienced so far, React Socks is very performant. Um, it's not a big download. So it's not, you know, another giant NPM package. It has no dependencies, which is great. So it's been very quick. And one of the things that's actually really cool about it is that because it's only rendering a certain component with a certain amount of CSS attached to it instead of all the CSS for the component at every size, the way media queries are, it should actually make your bundle size a little bit smaller and make it a quicker load time for a user than if you were potentially sending them every piece of CSS depending on what their browser size was. Right. 
Yeah, I was going to ask that next, right? Is it possible to lazy load these components in? So it says, oh, you're on the phone. We're just going to lazy load the phone components in and not even worry about the other sizes at all. And that keeps the bundle size down too. Yeah, it does actually, which is great. And it highlights that in its NPM documentation too. So you're definitely aware that that is a <laughs> Nice. Very cool. Do you have any other tips or tricks for doing this as far as uh, keeping it running? And Because it sounds pretty simple. I was like, oh man, this is complex stuff and it's going to take me some time to get it. But I think I'm getting my head around it. So yeah, anything else that we should discuss on this that makes it easier, um, better, faster? It's really... Well, like you say, it's really not hard to get started with it. Um, I took an application that I was building as the the main demo, and probably within 10 to 15 minutes, I had wrapped my top-level component with the breakpoint just to get it started. And then once you've done that, it's kind of like if you're setting up Redux for your application, mm-hmm. you just wrap it around the root-level component, and then you can use it anywhere inside of the application after that. Um, so it is really easy and quick to get get going with. Like I said before, some of the biggest benefits are if you have really different view layouts to render, um, whereas you might be going on a desktop, a side-by-side view or a grid even. Mm -hmm. But in mobile, it's almost always just going to be an up and down type of experience. So those components, it it really shines there. The ability to set breakpoints that are specific to you or your users um, is a, a big benefit. And then the less CSS that's being rendered into the browser. So quicker response times and page loads and things like that. The biggest drawback that I came across was it can be overkill sometimes. You, Like you said, if you just need to adjust maybe the height and width of an image or change the font size or do some just different padding and margins, you really don't need React Socks for that. You can just do that with some simple CSS and media queries. But using it for those bigger layout transitions, I think is really the biggest benefit to it. And there's no reason that you can't use both, which I think would really give you the best of both worlds. Yep. So uh, how do you get your team on board with doing something like this? I mean, it seems pretty simple, but you know, I, I, any change in some teams that I've been on is, is tough to get oh, adoption yeah. on. People hate change of any kind. <laughs> yep. Probably the best way that I've found so far is to actually do some kind of a proof of concept to show people just how simple it can be. And that's both showing them the code that it took, how few lines of code you can write and start to get some of these benefits, as well as showing them that the syntax is very easy to use, easy Mm -hmm. to follow. It's not complicated or convoluted in any way because it really is just more JSX and more of the React kind of syntax that we're already used to. It's just adding a new package in, wrapping a couple of components in it, and then seeing the results of it. So, you know, a a simple proof of concept, a maybe just giving them some tech time to kind of play around with it themselves. We also have once a month tech tros where people will come up with things that they either want to talk to the team about introducing. Tectros, yeah. It's like, um, it's kind of a, a time for our development teams just to talk about things that they'd like to use, things okay. that they wouldn't like to use, all kinds of things that are just technology related. Mm-hmm. So this was one of the things that we brought up in there and kind of talked about 
and then just, you know, to gauge people's interests and see if they were interested in doing that. Another thing that you can do is if you're working closely with a design team to talk to them about how important responsive design is to your application, because it may be really important. It may not be so important depending Mm -hmm. on who your user base is. So if they don't already have a design system that they're working with that offers responsive capabilities, this could be a quick win for getting it into your application and giving users that ability to have a more responsive experience. So it's kind of, it's, it's definitely a more collaborative effort, but this is just another option that would make it pretty easy to get started with that if you're not currently doing any responsive thinking or, or designs. Cool. Well, hopefully people can go check it out. Are there good resources for this? I'm assuming you just go look at the documentation. Yeah, the documentation is actually really great. And it's, it's nice that it's straightforward. But yeah, the NPM documentation is, is uh, well done. Um, it's pretty solid. It gives plenty of good examples with their custom breakpoints, default breakpoints, and then how to, to kind of potentially put together different components so that you could have the different views rendering. So I'd encourage that. I will give you the links to my Medium articles. I'll give you the links to my live demo site. So if people want to go and play around, they can. It's just a, a site that's using the movie database as the backend API. Mm-hmm. And you can, you know, slide it down to mobile view. You can expand it up to desktop view and kind of see the different pages and how they change uh, depending on what the layouts are. So there's a lot of a lot of ways to get started and it is pretty quick to do. Awesome. Early in my career, I figured out which jobs were worth working at and which ones weren't, mostly by trial and error. I created a system that I used to find jobs and later contracts as a freelancer. If you're looking for a job or trying to figure out where you should go next, then check out my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. The book walks you through figuring out what you want, vetting companies that meet your criteria, meeting that company's employees, and getting them to recommend you for a job. Don't settle for whoever has listed their job on the job board. Go out and proactively find the job you'll love. Buy the book at devchat.tv slash job book. That's devchat.tv slash job book. All right, well... I don't think there's anything else to go for, but yeah, go ahead and put those links in the chat. We'll make sure they wind up in the show notes. And uh, let's go ahead and do some picks. Now, you've been on our shows before, so you're, you're familiar with the idea of picks. I'm going to go ahead and get us started with picks. One pick that I have that I've kind of picked on every episode this week that I've done is, uh, and, and it's just because I'm really enjoying it, it's a book. It's The Cashflow Quadrant by Robert Kiyosaki. Um, if you've read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, same author. It's kind of the the follow-on to Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So yeah, anyway, it's, it's, it's been terrific read and you know, kind of been helping me set my mindset for how I want things to go. So yeah, definitely uh, check that out. I'm also putting together a, some online meetups because you know, we were talking beforehand and uh, everybody's kind of stuck at home. I don't know how long people are going to stick that out because I know some folks, you know, they, they have to work just to, to make the bills. I know a lot of people didn't even have money to, you know, go a week without work. So it, it's hard. You know, some people like us are able to work from home. And so, you know, we, we keep getting paid. But anyway, it's tough all around. So um, with, the, with the developer setup where everybody's kind of stuck at home, I know some people kind of crave that social interaction. And I think the community needs to be talking to each other, right? So I've been setting up meetups, uh, online meetups, I did one in the morning and one in the evening, my time. And the reason is, is because then 
you know, people in one part of the world can get up earlier in the morning and hop on a meetup, you know, in the morning, you know, say in Asia. The flip side is, is that, you know, if I do the other ones at a certain time of day, then that's in the afternoon or evening for Europe, which is, you know, most of the way around the world. Anyway, that works out. Devchat.tv slash meetups is where those are at, doing them all through uh, April. And then I'm also putting on a JavaScript remote conference, and that's at jsremoteconf.com. I'm also putting together a React Native remote conf. I kind of want to arrange the React one, but I just haven't gotten around to it. And um, there aren't as many React Native conferences, and the one in the US got canceled. It was in July. So if you're into React Native, definitely check that out. If you go to reactnativeremoteconf.com, I think that's the domain that's gonna it's gonna be at. Or if you go to devchat.tv slash conferences, you'll see it there. But yeah, so we're putting on the JavaScript one, we're putting on a React Native one. I'm also putting on an iOS like Swift focused one, but I don't know how appealing that is to this particular audience. So devchat.tv slash conferences is where you can get the information for those. And uh, yeah, getting all that together. So yeah, that's that's kind of been my main focus. These days is just making sure the community has somewhere to go until we can all go back to work in normal way. So that's awesome. That's a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> oh, it's a ton of work. Yeah, last night I finally just I had I had I still had stuff to do, but I was just I was wiped out. So at seven o'clock I go downstairs and I'm like, okay, I'm done. I'm going to bed. And my wife's looking at me like, really? And then she's like, all right. So I I took a, a Unisom, which is a sleep aid, and then I just crashed. So. <laughs> Uh, what about you? What are your picks? Cool. Um, so one of my picks is going to be for everybody who's at home. Um, it's called Goliath and it's a show on Amazon Prime. It is with Billy Bob Thornton, who I'm not into him hugely as an actor, but he's been he's been excellent on this show. There's three seasons of it. So there's a lot of viewing material um, and it's actually really entertaining. So check out Goliath on Amazon Prime. And for everybody else, I would recommend highly the Apple AirPods, the Pro version. I got these actually just a couple of weeks ago for my birthday. And I bought the same ones for my husband for Christmas. And they have been lifesavers while both of us are working from home. Because typically he's home, but I'm in an office all day. So since we're both sharing our main living area, because my office is at the dining room table and his is kind of behind me (laughs) having these and being able to really cancel out the noise of each other has been such a lifesaver because I'm on calls, he's on calls, I'm pair programming, all kinds of things. So Mm -hmm. just having that to cancel out the noise without having to use the big Bose headsets has been really, really good. So I would highly encourage anybody who's thinking about getting them or looking into it to, go ahead and pay for it because it really makes things easier. Yeah, I've been looking at the um, AirPod Pros. I have the, I think they're version one AirPods mm-hmm. and they are starting to die. Oh. Um, they, they sometimes don't connect. Sometimes they randomly disconnect and I'm like, oh, the battery must be dead. So I'll pop it in the case and open up the case next to my phone and it's still got mm-hmm. 70% battery. And I'm like, what the? And then I put it back in and it's fine. So that I, I have that going for it. And then it looks like they've just souped up the AirPod Pros so that they have a few other features that make them really nice to use, like the noise canceling. And it looks like there might be more 
like with these, you can you can double tap one side and have it do one thing and double tap the other side and have it do the other thing. Mm-hmm. But it looks like there might be more options for the AirPod Pros. Yeah, so, they have um, they have Siri voice control. So you can tell Siri to turn the volume up and down. Oh, nice. Um, they have the ability just by holding the stock to turn on and off the noise canceling. So if you need to hear somebody who's talking to you without having to remove them. And then they have... Multiple- I have five kids. I don't need that. <laughs> You're always going to keep it on noise canceling. <laughs> I can't hear you. That's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> and they have um, multiple versions or multiple sizes of the little soft tips that actually fit into your ears. So oh, for nice. me, at least, my ears would start to get tired after three or four hours of the regular earbuds. Um, but since mm-hmm. these are soft and they really conform to whatever your ear canal shape is, they don't get tired. It's really, it's really great, actually. Well, now I need them. I, I just wanted them before, but now I need them. <laughs> that, that sounds awesome. Well, uh, yeah, definitely on my list. Nice. Cool. Well, if people want to connect with you online, see what you're working on or see where you're going to be speaking next or anything like that, where do they go? I am on Twitter and I will put the link to my Twitter handle in there. It's P Nidri. N-I-E-D-R-I, but I'll definitely put that in there so anybody can click on it. I also write mostly on Medium about once every two weeks, I'll come out with something new, either JavaScript, React, or pretty much whatever else I'm working on between work and home. I'll write on some topic related to that. And you know, you can always reach out to me on most channels. I'm available. <laughs> nice. Well, thanks for coming. This has been fun just to chat and talk about making stuff fit on your screen. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's more and more of a thing that needs to be taken into consideration. Yeah. So I'm happy to give some more options for how to do it. Yeah, well, and the easier it gets, I mean, that that's just a good thing. Absolutely. All right, folks, we're going to wrap this up. Until next time, Max out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.